Hi, I'm Megan Angelo, and you're listening to Storybound. Welcome to Storybound, presented by Lit Hub Radio and the Podglomerate. I'm your host, Jude Brewer. In just one minute, you will hear Megan Angelo read an excerpt from her book, Followers, with an original composition by Tim Carplus. The morning was for numbers. Marla woke at seven to take one pill in front of. She gave a mental glance at the dashboard that kept track of her followers, blinking on the screen inside her mind. 11.6 million people as of this moment. She hooked the quilt beneath her armpits in two places. Wardrobe malfunction prevention had installed loops on all her bedding, had sewn prongs into the lace edges of the short silk gowns she wore to bed. Then she sat up and took three deep breaths, opening her eyes on the last one. She blinked four times, unhurried, smiled twice. The first smile was meant to look sleepy, to hint at consciousness emerging. The second was meant to look spontaneous, giddy, as if she had just remembered that she was alive and felt unspeakably blessed. To look, in other words, as though the pill worked that fast. Lately, Marlo had been adding some movement to this second smile, sighing and stretching her arms over her head. But the network had sent her a clucking note yesterday, reminding her to aim for consistency wherever possible. Departures from long-held routines can seem to the audience like signs of emotional trouble. Her followers had other concerns. After Marlo lowered her palms this morning, she closed her eyes just in time to see a comment scrolling. Is it me, or does Mar have kind of chubby armpits? Marlo looked at Ellis, sleeping stomach down beside her. She couldn't ask him if he thought her armpits were fat. To bring it up on camera would be to acknowledge the followers' comment, to acknowledge the existence of followers at all. This was against employee policy, which was a total farce, of course. Her followers knew she knew they were watching. They knew she could see them talking about her. But the fact that she and the other talent never let on, that they pretended to just be living, this was what her followers wanted. They liked to feel like voyeurs. They didn't want to be looked in the eye. And so, as her contract stated, the Constellation Network has a zero-tolerance policy on spellbreaking. She got up and padded across the bedroom, listening to the faint saw of the cameras in the shiplap walls grooves, sliding on their tracks to follow her. The writers had been editing her closet again, Marlowe saw when she pulled its doors open. Yesterday, as the day stretched empty before her, Marlowe had reclined in her backyard cabana, let her eyelids close behind her sunglasses, and intuited lazily, just for something to do, Vintage fashion images. The browsing turned into obsession. The obsession turned into a wardrobe request that was filled within the hour. 
As Marlo sat cross-legged in her sarong on the dove gray cushion, eating a spinach salad with strawberries, a drone descended from the sky and landed on the deck. It unfurled its arms to release a metal bar hung with the clothes she had asked for. Jeans with the knees cat clawed out, shoulderless blouses that billowed in the breeze as they settled down in front of her. When she put everything on, Marlo grinned at herself in the mirror, feeling like a 20-teens pinup. But then she saw her dashboard throbbing with feedback. Those pants just made me second-guess being on the same meds as her, someone wrote. That night, as she lay in bed, Marlo heard the overnight drone making more noise than usual. After it cleaned and filed the dishes, after it folded the blankets she and Ellis left slopped on the couches when they ambled to bed, she heard the drone pushing its way into her closet, clattering around. Sure enough, this morning, all her vintage looks were gone. Now she pulled on a lime-colored hoodie and matching leggings off a hanger. If the network cared so much about what she wore, let them green screen it in themselves. Such a bold floral on that cardigan, but she's pulling it off. Went the follower comment that appeared a moment later. Clicking to buy. Marlo fought the gag that rose inside her at the phrase bold floral. She swore someone in wardrobe had it out for her. On the other hand, she thought, as she went into the kitchen and opened the fridge, she had a guardian angel in craft services. Science had definitively linked caffeine to anxiety recently, and the network had immediately freaked about the optics of Marlowe consuming it. But someone in Crafty had come to the rescue, developing a coffee just for her that could be dyed to look like cold-pressed juice. Now Marlowe uncapped a plastic bottle with a label that read carrot apple, took a sip of terracotta-colored liquid, and tasted the bitter cool of iced espresso. The sensation loosened her instantly. Her shoulders retreated downward, her heart rose, her face relaxed. She could sense herself having an attractive moment. And as if on cue, she heard a muted snap. The camera in the brass knob on the cabinet door across from her had detected and captured a still image, perfect for the hysteral ad that would be patched onto the corner of her live feed in Marlowe Counted, Three, two. She does always look so content, though. Someone piped up on her dashboard. Next time they do a promo code for Hysteral, I might give it a shot. Doesn't anyone think it's weird the way she drinks that juice? She's like savoring the tiniest sips. I bet she's on coffee and they're CGI and shit. Marlo froze with her lips on the bottle. She waited a beat for the comment to clear then tipped her head back and forced herself to take a giant gulp of her drink. She exhaled discreetly to keep from releasing the telltale coffee char of her breath. Then she stifled a smile. Her followers couldn't smell her. Her heartbeat stuttered as it always did when she came up with another thing, though sometimes she could go years on end without adding to the list. Things I have to myself. The hour between 3 and 4 a.m., when the network broke for ad interruption. Dressing rooms and doctor's office chambers and bathrooms in her home and all over town. Her favorite was a toilet stall in the vegan gastropub downtown. 
As a teenager, she used a nail file to scratch mean things about some of her ruder followers into its enamel walls. And now, her smell. Something small, but hers alone. You are listening to Storybound. And now for a short break. And now we return from our break. This was how it had gone at Jacqueline's parties for nearly a decade. Marlo sat on the cantaloupe-colored sofa against its right arm, her good side facing camera east. Ida slumped opposite her on the daisy-patterned club chair, droning unbearably. Marlo had once liked being across from Ida, back when the woman was a bawdy, sloppy drunk. But these days, Ida was sober and a stay-at-home mom, and she spent most of Jacqueline's parties performing small dramas about her allergies. Marlo had seen Ida walk around an ottoman like it was a landmine, sniffling, oh God, is that mohair? Ida routinely flung herself across the room to close a window, whining, sorry, pollen, I have to. Once, failing to detect Ida's allergy profile from her device, a server bot had extended a tray of shrimp cocktail her way. Ida had gone to City Hall the next week, made a 20-minute speech about her hives, and insisted that the network decommission and dismember, Marla recalled with a scandalized chill, the offending machine. But tonight, Ida was missing, recast without explanation. A new girl, olive-skinned and sleek, formidably cheekboned, with bronze lipstick and black hair parted into pigtail braids, sat in Ida's chair with her bare feet pulled up under her like she had been here forever. Marla looked at Jacqueline, who stood in the center of the thick sand-colored carpet, holding up something called a scrunchie. At these parties, Jacqueline pushed things that, according to her invites, changed her life Ab gadgets, smoothies, ugly quilted handbags. Marlo knew, they all knew, that none of these things had really changed Jacqueline's life. The network chose the items based on sponsorship agreements. Then Jacqueline threw parties where she raised them up and gushed about them to her dozen in-person guests and her roughly 9.9 million followers, plus all of her guest followers too. The items the network chose reflected Jacqueline's core audience demo. Married mothers across America, aged 28 to 44, who tuned in while folding laundry around 9 p.m. on weeknights. Though Jacqueline fit squarely in with her followers, she was 38 with two daughters, she was always embarrassed when someone mentioned her demo. It makes me feel so old and boring, she told Marlo once. It's better than mine, Marlo had said. No one would argue with that. Where's Ida? Marlo called to Jacqueline, raising her voice above the scrunchie-induced oohs and ahs. Jacqueline ignored her. She pushed the scrunchie onto her wrist and waved her hand around for all to see. And it's super cute as a bracelet, she said. 
Jack, Marley repeated, is Ida on vacation? The end of her sentence slipped under the clatter of something breaking on the ground. The women turned to see a server bot bent over the shards of a wine glass. Marla watched the lilies in the coffee table vase twist in the same direction, their scarlet pistols stretching to train their tiny cameras on the action. She could swear the bot had dropped the glass to drown out the sound of Ida's name. When she looked back at Jacqueline, her friend nodded once and dabbed at her lips. It was their signal for tell you off camera. An hour later, as Marlowe passed the powder room, Jacqueline's arm shot out of it and pulled her inside. Ida's gone, she said as she pulled the door shut. Gone? Marlowe saw herself in the mirror. One of Jacqueline's hair drones, its silver talons clacking near her ear, had pinned a ridiculous silk bow barrette into her dark waves. Yup, Jacqueline said. Just up and left, Mike and the kids. Blew right through the perimeter, left the fucking state. She walked her fingers on an invisible path through the air. Check your map. She's in Denver. And for God's sake, Marlo, don't mention her on camera again. But what about her contract, Marlo said. I thought she and Mike were doing the whole on-the-rocks thing this year. She unlatched her barrette and massaged her scalp, ignoring Jacqueline's puffed breath of protest. They didn't even stage a hunt for her, supposedly, Jacqueline said, adjusting the pearl comb at her temple. She sucked her cheeks in and glared at herself in the glass. How shitty would that feel? It's like they don't even care she's gone. I honestly think the network was glad to get the chance to sub in that new girl. Diversity and all. Jacqueline. Marlo spoke in a firm voice. This was something she had been trying to do more since she turned 35. The age felt to her like a cosmic deadline for being strong and self-possessed, complete. Hunts aren't real, she said. They certainly are, Jacqueline returned, in a tone that trumped hers effortlessly, and Marlo let it go. Jacqueline was an incorrigible know-it-all. It was what Marlo loved most about her. Her friend's brazen authority always made her feel safe. Jacqueline's eyes flitted away for a moment. She nodded, but not at Marlowe. Her device was telling her something. Gotta get back out there, she said. Talk later. Alone in the bathroom, Marlowe twiddled the twigs in the diffuser on the sink and closed her eyes. Find Ida Stanley, she intuited. In her mind's eye, California shrank and plummeted away, making Marlowe's stomach flip like she was the falling thing. Her map shifted, streaking past hundreds of her neighbors' symbols in a blur, and brought her down again in Denver. Ida's symbol, the red stiletto that had always depressed Marlowe, hovered over the city. There she was, proudly gone, in the state of Marlo had to zoom out to remind herself what state Denver was in, Colorado. Marlo pictured Ida on a purple-flowered mountain, sneezing. The black gem at her wrist nicked her gently. I have a message from production, came the voice in her brain. I should return to an on-camera space. I have now been off camera five minutes. I have lost 78 followers during this off-camera time. 
Marlo watched herself blush with guilt in the mirror. It was as if the network knew what she was thinking about just then, what it would be like for her to leave too. I have lost 89 followers during this off-camera time, the voice followed up. 89 followers was nothing. Marlo averaged an audience of over 12 million. And that was why Ida could run, she thought, and get away with it, whereas she wouldn't. Ida had, what, one, 1.5 million followers? Hardly a fan favorite, especially after she transitioned from the party girl ensemble to a standard housewife arc. She didn't even have a sponsor. Marlo, by contrast, was the most looked at woman in the room, presented by a marquee partner, Hysteral. Her followers, the people who observed every move she made, were spread across the rest of America and various races and age groups. What they had in common was that they were troubled. This was how the network marketed her, as the poster child for troubled, the constellation star who got what they were going through. The network mined public data, looking for adults whose devices clocked too much crying or eating, for kids whose heartbeats surged to panicked levels during gym class. Meet Marlo, went the ad the network would beam straight to their devices. She knows just how you feel. The sad people, glad to be talked to, would opt right in and start watching her. They would see that she moved through her days with buoyant normalcy, and they would be reminded every so often that hysteral had made her this way. It was Jacqueline's job to show America what they could buy to keep them happy. It was Marlo's job to show them what to swallow. She calmed herself at the sink, willed the redness to fade from her cheeks. I should return to an on-camera space. Marlo's hair was bent and snarled where she had pulled out the bow. She dug the clasp back in even tighter this time and went back out to the party. This story was an excerpt written and performed by Megan Angelo. You can read more of her story in her book, Followers. Followers is described as sort of this trippy future version of our high-tech, internet-obsessed culture, and it is really fascinating. The music for this episode was composed by Tim Carplus. Tim also did the music for Nathan Hill's episode in season one, and I highly recommend you check it out. We'd also like to thank Kathleen from Kathleen Carter Communications, Great In-House Books, and Tim Carplus for mixing this episode. And in case you already weren't aware, there are comics for every one of these episodes. Shane Milner draws the comics, and you can find these on our Instagram page or on our Twitter at StoryBoundPod. StoryBound is arranged, produced, and hosted by me, Jude Brewer. Our executive producers are Jeff Umbro of the Podglomerate and Justin Alvarez of LitHub. This show's theme was developed by Grain Table. And thank you to Modestus Mancus for this outro sample. If you've ever felt like telling us what you think of the show, well, you can do so by finding us on Twitter at StoryBoundPod or just tweeting me directly at Jude Brewery. New episodes are released every Tuesday. Next week, you'll hear an original story by Amanda Stern.
She drinks that juice. 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 Is it me or does Mar have kind of chubby armpits? Chubby armpits. Chubby armpits. Chubby armpits. She drinks that juice. Chubby armpits. Chubby armpits. Chubby armpits. Such a bold floral on that cardigan, but she's pulling it off. Bold floral. Bold floral. Bold floral. Bold floral. Bold floral. Bold floral. Chubby armpits. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.